Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. Robin, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Would you like to introduce yourself to everyone out there listening? Sure. I'm Robin Strum. Um, I am the director of Delaware Paranormal Research Group, which is a group that's been around since about 2008. Um, I'm also the author of a couple of books on the paranormal, um, on the hunt for the haunted, um, searching for proof of the paranormal is uh, a book about all of our past investigations, or not all of them, but many of them. Um, and then Anatomy of a Ghost, um, a guide to analyzing the dead is kind of, my, it's my actually my first book. It's kind of an um, overarching look at a lot of things to do with the paranormal and hauntings and ghosts in particular, but, but also near-death experiences and out-of-body experiences and tulpas and man-made ghosts and all sorts of stuff. So. so now, have you always had an interest in the paranormal or did it start when the team started in 08? Uh, I have always kind of been interested in the paranormal and all things macabre. Um, I had a grandmother that was very interested in it as well. Uh, so I kind of grew up with that um, interest. But for me, I never had any paranormal experiences, oddly enough. So um, to me, ghost stories were just that. They were just ghost stories because I'd never had any experiences or anything out of the ordinary happen to me. Um, and then it really piqued my interest when um, I moved into an old Victorian. It's always an old Victorian. It's always, it's always an old Victorian. Oh God, I love that house. So um, for many reasons, but but one in particular that it was haunted by a, a child ghost. Um, so we moved into the house and the very first night we didn't have any furniture or anything. So I bedded my two-year-old down. He was two at the time. So it's been a while, you can see. Um, so I bedded him down in a first floor uh, bedroom on the on the floor in a nest of blankets and pillows and all that kind of stuff. And then my husband and I, after, you know, a long day of unpacking and cleaning and all that kind of stuff, we bedded down in the formal parlor. So we're sound asleep because we're exhausted. And about midnight, I get woken up and I open my eyes and I look up and there's a child staring at me. Now it's dark. So I just assumed the child was my son. Uh, the child proceeded to get up and like skipped on down the hallway back towards the bedroom. Now he's, my son's two, maybe two and a half at this point. So you don't let two and a half year olds, you know, out of your sight for very long. So I can't hear him. And I'm calling him like, where are you, darling? Come, what you doing? You know, and I'm not hearing anything. I'm like, well, I better go check on him because he's going to be up to no good. So I go down the hall to his to the bedroom where I had put him down and he's sound asleep. <laughs> and I'm just standing there going, what just happened? You know, because as I said, I'd never had any experiences in my life. So I was completely nonplussed <laughs> to say the least. So did you look into the history behind the house to try and figure out if you could find something, maybe like obviously the child, you know, about that the Victorian home being haunted by a child ghost. So, I mean, did you look into the history and find that there was a person who either died at that place or something? No, because this was long before I actually got into the paranormal. So, um, yeah, this is about four or five years before that. So, and I was just starting a professorship at a, a four-year college. So I was busy, 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 you know, I was scrambling. So, and we were 
redoing the house. So, I mean, I was just, the, the paranormal was just secondary at that point. It was just, I'm too busy to deal with this right now. So, um, so no, I, I never actually looked into the history of the house, except that it had, it had been owned by, um, it wasn't a funeral parlor, but it was owned by the family that owned the funeral parlor in the, in the town. So that's about all I, I knew about it. But I mean, it was pre, uh, it was pre-Civil War construction. So it had been around a while, a long while. So now did, when you started looking into the paranormal, did you try and look at other people's claims of things? Like what's your idea of a ghost as well too like you think it's like a memory i've heard that before honestly i believe that one a little bit more but then some people have different ideas of what they would constitute as a paranormal or an apparition or a ghost yeah well it's a complicated complicated subject um which is primarily why i went into it but um certainly i've i've run into things that are residual in nature um and i've kind of um kind of developed a theory actually about doppelgangers being uh kind of a residual of the living if you will because if if the environment can record people from the past it's quite possible that it can also record people from the future so um there's a case in point there was um a young man, I, I heard him on uh, the Jim Harold Campfire podcast, but uh, it was really a, a great, um, a great example. So the um, the young man is in the kitchen one day, and he's um, making a sandwich, and he looks up, and this small child runs into the room, takes one look at him, and runs out of the room, and he's like who in the heck was that? And then he remembered that when he was a small boy, he went into the kitchen one day and saw a strange teenager making a sandwich, got scared and ran out. So he had literally seen himself at two different times um, in his life. Like a loop. Yeah. Like a loop. Exactly. Exactly. And there was another one. I don't remember where this one was from, but it was a woman and she was home. And she heard very distinctly herself call out to her from downstairs, like in the basement. She's like, so she goes looking for someone. She doesn't find anyone. She's alone in the house. And it sounded distinctly like herself. Um, fast forward a few years and she's down in the basement. She's, she remembered that time. And so she called out to herself and she realized that what she had heard in the past was herself in the future calling out to herself in the past so i mean fascinating those those are fascinating examples so it can make your mind go through loops on that one that seems a little bit complicated for me yeah yeah well you know spend enough time in this field you realize that that time really is not linear it's not um, yeah there's we multiple perceive it that way it. yeah yeah there's so maybe what we perceive as ghosts is that are actually not ghosts they're just in their time frame operating you know doing their thing and then you know at times maybe the the veil thins as they say and we can you know two time uh time times can can kind of coincide well i believe like the residual energy is the thing that like a place could experience so much trauma or pain like some of those like uh, Alcatraz and all those places where there's been horrible deaths. And I would think that obviously the energy we're energy, in my opinion, I think that we're energy. 
And I just think that some of that dissipates and then it gets stained in a place depending on what horrors happen there. I mean, sometimes it can be a good memory too. It, it doesn't even need to be something traumatic. We always want it to be something traumatic, but I've had my own doppelganger uh, experiences in my house. I've been in my house for 18 years along with my son and my husband. So I'm home one day. My, uh, my son was gone and I hear him very, he has a very distinct, Hey, he says when he's, you know, entering a room or he's calling you. So I hear, Hey, in his voice. And I'm like, he's not home. So I just assumed it was my husband who was working down in the basement. But an hour or so later, my husband comes home or comes up from the basement. He said, is your son home? And I said, no, he's not home. And he said, that's odd because I heard him say, Hey, so we both heard it. It both we both knew it sounded distinctly like my son, um, but he wasn't home. So, so it can it can just be mundane. You know, you you live in a building or you work in a building for long enough, some part of you can get recorded into the into the fabric. And certainly, you know, something traumatic would probably uh, expedite that as well. But it, as I say, it does not need to be traumatic for it to happen so now through your paranormal research or just like looking deeper into it not even before the team even started but just having an interest in it did you try to look at other people's experiences like i'm sure there's forums and things of that sort that could be able to give you a good collection of information on some people's paranormal encounters experiences or some other things that might be able to pique your interest as well like you have a you just explained a couple examples right there that's stuff i've never heard of before so I've always heard of like apparitions or people going in, like someone being able to turn a light on and off or something that simple that I've seen guests show me on the show before. But I'm curious, like, where do you like, how do you trust the source? And then how do you not trust the source? Yeah, that's isn't that always the, the X-Files completely ruined everything. They completely <laughs> just made everything like ridiculous and crazy. And I love that show. I watched it as a kid, but from people that like I saw some of the locations they went to and investigated and some of those people that work at that facility or place, either it's a prison or something of that sort. There's a penitentiary in Virginia. I had spoken to a guy about, and he was like, yeah, he goes on the sixth day, they didn't have any shots or anything shot for the thing. And they asked me if I could do this one thing to make it look like this. And then they chopped it a certain way and played it to make it sound like there was an encounter. And I was like, that's the thing. How do you know what's real? I mean, I think everyone has a, like a little bit of themselves to know that inside them, they believe in the paranormal just because we don't know. It's like saying there's no aliens or anything. Space is so vast. doesn't matter if they came here already, despite what the government says. It's just space is so vast to say that there is no existence would just be simple. Yeah, that would, that would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? I mean, it's, it's, it's infinite, so... Uh, and obviously there are other solar systems out there that are capable of, um, you know, creating a habit, habitatable, <laughs> if that's a word, uh, planet, you know, but um, I think it's more right now, the consensus is more that they're interdimensional. So they're not traveling a gazillion years through space to get here. They're coming through um, in another dimension. So I think that's kind of the prevailing thought right now. I believe I had Nick Pope on here from Ancient Aliens, and uh, I told him, I said, I just don't believe what the government says. I don't know. For so long, they denied the UAP stuff, and then finally now they're acknowledging it. And I'm like, why all of a sudden now? 
I know it makes you wonder, it. doesn't it? Yeah. Well, I hope it opens up the door to the paranormal discussions too. Like, does that mean the government's going to start investigating those claims a little bit more? They've done it in the past. Well, actually, um, they. I don't. It wasn't actually. It was. It was the Pentagon that um, launched an investigation at um, Skinwalker Ranch. Yeah, that's my buddy TJ's show. Yeah, yeah, because they wanted to possibly, well, they wanted to figure out what was going on so they could use it as a weapon. Only the government would, would <laughs> take that. I know, I go right to the weapon side of things. Uh, yeah, yeah, so, um, but there's, and there's been some speculation at least that, well, I mean, the, the Russians were, were um, doing the remote viewing yeah. Uh, testing the remote viewing as well as we were. So um, we try to create psychological warriors in our government. It was mm -hmm, Project Jedi. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So there is obviously something going on that is a little bit deeper. Like it doesn't need to go into the conspiracy realm. Like people always toss it into the fantasy thing. Like I'm interested in cryptids and all those discussions. And I have friends that research them. I mean, they come with a lot of evidence and stuff to support a lot of their points. And I just mentioned, I was like, to say that this is all life is you're living and then you're gone i was like there has to be something else we don't knock religious claims people don't do that but then when we get into the paranormal discussions and other things it's like oh everyone just kind of either scoffs it off or everyone has an interest in it i feel like everyone has that little bit of curiosity definitely and um you know i spent a lot of years um just doing um hauntings and um ghosts and poltergeists and that kind of thing and i and I just, I got bored with it after a while. So I started looking into other, you know, like cryptids, and, yeah. uh, Bigfoot claims and, you know, all that. And I'm like, my God, the world is <laughs> it's it's a, lot a of crazy, <laughs> crazy place. Yeah. When you start looking into the, the wide variety of paranormal events, um, it's, it's what, mind boggling. What, what caused you in 08 to start your paranormal research team? Uh, well, as I said, I, I was always really, really interested in in the paranormal, and I'd had that ex those experiences in my house. Uh, there were numerous of them, but uh, the boy ghost being the just the most traumatic. But um, and then I was cruising the television stations one day, and I came across a Ghost Hunters show, and I'm like, my God, if two plumbers. <laughs> can investigate the paranormal certainly i can so that was i was just hooked uh, my son was old enough at that point to you know that i could you know i could leave him home with a sitter and not have to worry about him and you know my my time was a bit freed up from where it had been and so i just i joined a <laughs> actually i contacted a paranormal group and i said i really want to join and i didn't hear anything back and then I, I filled out their application and I sent it in and I didn't hear anything back. And then I contacted the, them again and I'm like, I really want to join. And I didn't hear anything back. And I finally like, I will run a podcast. I will do your video. I will, you know, I just started throwing everything at the wall. I'm like, I want in. <laughs> I'm sure there has never been anyone in the history of mankind that wanted in that badly. <laughs> But I just I just kept at them until they let me in. So now, how'd you find like how'd you find people for your team? Like how'd you decide that you wanted to start it up? You know, put make a website for it and also do some investigations, which we're going to get into. But it's that's not an easy thing. Like I have friends that are like bumping the night society. That's their team, and they openly talk about it. They openly go like that. And I'm like, I don't know. For me, I don't know if I'd be able to because I feel like there's a stigma behind being on like a 
you know, saying that you're investigating stuff like that, because still, still people kind of don't believe some of this stuff either. Yeah, um, you know, the television shows have gone a long way towards changing, I think, the public um, opinion, because I remember when I started in this, I was very careful about who I told that I did this on the side. Now, I just let it all hang out because everyone's everyone wants to talk about their paranormal experiences. So it, it's shocking how much it's changed in the last 15 years. Now, you know, I still run across the occasional person, but it's nothing like it used to be. It, it really isn't. So in fact, most of the time, people are more than willing to come up and bend my ear for hours <laughs> telling about every, you know, every experience they've ever had. So you find that everyone has a paranormal experience. That's the crazy thing. Like everyone has something they can't explain. A lot of them. Yeah. 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 So now what's some of the investigations you went on? Like, what was your first investigation? I mean, you're a state away from me. Um, you're in Delaware. I'm in Maryland. So it's nice to have someone that's, you know, on the East Coast. Usually I'm talking to someone from another country or something. But what was your one of your first investigations you decided to yes. go on? So here's, my, I always call it my grimoire, actually. It was the first 10 years of investigating. Every one of them is logged in here. So uh, it's invaluable. If the house burns down, I'm going in for my log <laughs> <laughs> screw the the photos uh so it was the mitchell house it that was up in the oh it's elkton maryland i wrote it down mitchell house in elkton maryland it was a really old house um with a barn i believe it was like a historic property it was cool it's cool did, did you find anything paranormal there oh, god this is 2000 and eight <laughs> how did you wait how did you find the places that are haunted to, in like the first place that was i mean the internet was still a thing but I, I think a lot of people aren't just publicizing that they have a haunted location yeah back not back then especially um but i didn't run the group at that time so i'm not sure how um the two gentlemen that ran the group found them but apparently it wasn't the first time that they'd done this one so they apparently they had a contact with them so i mean there are a couple of different ways that you can go about finding investigations um you can contact places right and ask them to investigate um i know the the newest and greatest thing is to break into empty buildings and investigate i do not suggest doing that that's for a number of reasons yeah it's illegal <laughs> number one it's really dangerous number two if you fall through the floor no one's going to know where you're at so i you know i always dissuade people from doing that but um i know that's the, all the rage right now um but you know i i we've been out for a long time um people come to me now <laughs> so they'll come to me and say hey i've got a haunted location and um could you come out and check it out so so that's the way we get our investigations now i don't have to do you trust more of the commercial or the residential ones um i try i tend to trust the commercial ones more um you know i've come across a lot of interesting folk i got you Inter there you go yeah yeah so um but i always you know if it if it sounds credible enough I'll, i always go out and i do a, a walk through talk to the family um and if i think they're credible you know I'll, i might set something up if i if i think they need 
a bit more evidence before I'm, you know, I'm hooked, um, then I suggest that they log and get back to me if they, you know, come up with something really juicy. So, um, for example, um, in my book on the hunt for the haunted, I talk about Hartley House. We did Hartley House three times. Now, the first time they had it investigated, I took a pass on it. I didn't think there was enough there. Um, but then they brought another team out. They did uh, an investigation, a short one, uh, found some interesting things. And then Lindsay, the homeowner, contacted me again. She's like, would you, would you consider coming out now? And I'm like, yeah, I'll come out because you've got, you've got something there for me to see, you know, something tangible. So, and as I said, we did that house three times. We never did an investigation at that house that we did not get not only something, but a plethora of something. It was just, it was just an amazing property. Now, us, so. is, is that one of the locations or is there another location that you have that really sticks out in your mind as like, I'll never forget this? Oh yeah, probably the Lewis investigation, uh, the long neck investigation that again, that I wrote about in the book because it was just such an incredible investigation. But um, there'd been a an older gentleman that had owned the house. He was just, Apparently, he was just a horrible human being. Um, yeah, his obituary was like, uh, Joe died. He worked at X. <laughs> and that was it. I'm like, no one in the world had a good thing to say about the man. So, um, so he was um, a really bad diabetic. He was in... Um, he was in a wheelchair for the last few years of his life, and he had a recliner that he always, he basically lived in. So he would sleep in the recliner. He would spend all day in his recliner. Um, the neighbor would come over and check, check on him to make sure he wasn't in a uh, diabetic coma. Um, and then eventually he passed away. Um, he had left the property to a woman, um, acquaintance of his. Apparently, she didn't want it, so she just never moved in, never paid the taxes, and it just went, you know, went up for auction eventually. So this unwitting woman bought the property. Um, she was going to completely renovate it, add a, a couple of additions, just doing a beautiful job on the place. Um, of course, because uh, the man had died basically in the house and the woman had never moved in, everything that the man had owned, including that old recliner, was still in the house. Um, so the woman moves in, she's um, renovating it with her boyfriend and the, all sorts of crazy stuff starts going on. Basically, um, the spirit did not want them working on his house, which you hear a lot. Um, so they eventually, they called me in because they were just getting freaked out. And um, we walk in, my co-director and I walk in and we, we do a walkthrough. Um, and um, I took one look at the recliner. It's full of cigarette holes, cigarette um, burns and dirty and filthy and tattered and and he explained to me that this had been the gentleman's recliner. And I said, okay. That's huh. probably the most haunted thing in that place. Mm -hmm. So um, as I'm walking out, I, I said to him, I don't remember his name now, um, but I said to him, you might want to get rid of the recliner. And he's like, you mean like burn it? Now, remember, this is his girlfriend's house. So everything in the house is his girlfriend's. It's not his. And I'm yeah. like, 
I don't, I don't want to tell you to, and she wasn't there by the way, she was out of town. So I'm like, I'm not telling you to burn her, her furniture, even though this, it's a nasty old piece of furniture. I said, why don't you just put it on the curb? And he said, well, what happens if someone else takes it? And I'm like, well, then they're, they're going to have a, toss them <laughs> they're going to have, on that have thing. yeah, yeah. So, so we are pull, actually pulling out of the property and he is, um, just running into the house and we see him i see him in the rearview mirror hauling this recliner out to the fire pit <laughs> so he burnt the recliner um luckily his girlfriend was not mad uh, as i say it was a nasty old piece of furniture anyway but um and he swore up and down that when he burned the recliner he could see the image of um, a man and a little girl in the flames so he video taped it for me and he sent it to me and I, I I never could see what he was seeing but he swore up and down and his father swore up and down because his father lived next door that they could see this image of a man and a little girl in the flames so um, after that the scarier things that were going on in the house pretty much ceased so is, is I, I nailed that it? one is that a way to get rid of it by burning well, like a material a, possession if it's if if the if the um, if the object is haunted, yeah, you can get you get rid of it. I would feel like the energy wouldn't just go into something else. Like what what would stop it from going into something else in that house? It just had to be attached to that one thing. I don't I don't know honestly. I just I just knew it worked, and we released them out to the outside. Of I mean, this one was a wild ride. So. Um, so also in the house was a, supposedly a little girl ghost and they would um, they would find like happy faces drawn on in the dust and on the in the paint and all over the house. So there was a little girl ghost and there was a older like Victorian style woman. Uh, Always a Victorian style. Yeah. Something. But this was a house built in the 70s. That was the interesting thing. And the the boyfriend would see this female apparition she'd see her almost on a nightly basis she would always move from one bedroom float across because he said it she didn't walk she she kind of you know the head didn't come go up and down like you do when you walk it would just float by and it would go into the other bedroom and he'd go in the other bedroom and he wouldn't see anything and then the next night the same thing would happen so um so we, when we burned the chair, we got rid of the, the gentleman, the older gentleman, but it was still very haunted by the little girl ghost and the um, older lady ghost. So um, before we left, we suggested, because they, she, the, the woman that owned the property just wanted to be done with it. So we suggested that um, ways to cleanse the property. And I, and I always tell people, you know, you bring out pest control, to, to spray the property, you're going to get rid of a lot of the bugs, but you're not always, you're not going to get rid of yeah. every bug. So um, when you're cleansing a property, if you're, if you're smudging, for example, um, you might just because you do it once doesn't mean you've gotten all the bugs, right? Yeah. So it's like Germex 99.9% .9 is what they say. Yeah. So we had her on a regimen. So she was smudging uh, the property on a daily basis for uh, about a week. And then it was, you know, once a week, and then eventually she got it down to once a month. But, um, and eventually, um, 
she wasn't having any more activity in the house whatsoever. So, um, but the really interesting thing was I had a, a male investigator on the team at the at the, at that time. Uh, he was getting on a on a flight um, to go to Texas, and the woman um, sat down next to him, and she was asking. She said, um, "What do you do?" Um, for a living or basically what do you do for a hobby and he's like and he this was back when you didn't want to talk about it so he's kind of like oh you know I'm, I go out with a group of folks and do some stuff and she, but she kept at him she's like what do you do for a hobby what do you do on the side what do you do for a hobby and he finally is like I investigate the paranormal she said I thought so and then she said I'll never forget this they live outside now Jesus, that's something you don't want to remember. Oh my God. <laughs> so, yes. So she apparently she was a very strong psyche and she picked up on the fact that they had moved out. They had moved outside. So that was incredible. <laughs> You've investigated a lot of places, but I, I I think we briefly talked about this on email, but did you investigated the Atlantic Hotel? Yes. Yes, we did. That was one of my favorites. Haunted or not? Oh, totally. Okay, because I've explained my paranormal experience on this show before in the past. Um, and like I said, it's it's when you talk when you say it, like for me, I don't know, that's like my weird stuff. I'm like, there you go, there's that. Let's put that out in the ether. Um, but I this uh, I'll, I'll give you like a breakdown of it. But I was in the Atlantic Hotel. I was probably maybe seven, eight years old, maybe younger than that. Um, but I, my mom worked there at the time, and so did my aunt, and. So I was sick from school and sick when I mean, like I was just, you know, playing it up a little bit. And um, I, I was I remember exactly I was watching Scooby-Doo on the TV and this maid had come by. It was an African-American lady and she was wearing like an old older maid outfit. And she just kind of said, are you hungry? And I said, no, my mom told me to stay in here, watch TV, watch Scooby-Doo. If I need anything, I can when she comes up, I'll let her know but thank you and um she was like okay and then like gave me a wave and then started walking down the hallway and then i of course i waited a couple minutes and then i hop out of bed real fast and i run over you know look down the hallway and see try and see and she was gone and i ran downstairs and i was like you know what i am kind of hungry now so i went downstairs and told my mom and my aunt and they kind of just stared at me and i was like yeah is everything okay it's my snacks <laughs> and um they were like there's nobody else working here but me your aunt and then either it's his name was bob or something that's in the kitchen and i was like okay i was like i saw someone so and then after that like i just like i said i was little that's all i remember about that but i don't know if you came across anything and i'm curious what your investigative uh what you could be able to find uh, I didn't see a full body apparition. I wish I had, but <laughs> that is um, amazing. And uh, there's another story I heard about the Atlantic that's similar to that one, where um, the manager is at the Atlantic and this woman who's supposedly in that that tiny little room right over the kitchen, it's been years now, but um, D something. Uh, but anyway, there's this tiny little um, room over the, over the kitchen so it's not it's not a great room you know because you get the kitchen noise um it's so small you can't even i don't think there's another piece of furniture in it except the bed uh, there was a dresser but i mean it's tiny anyway i digress um so apparently this woman comes out of this little room 
which is extremely haunted, by the way. She comes out, she walks up to the manager and she says, there's no towels in my room. And the manager's like, oh, we made up the room. It's not possible. You wouldn't have any towels. And the woman's like, I don't have any towels in my room. She said, well, you should have one or two. And she goes, you don't understand. I have no towels in my room. And then she turns around and goes back into the room and closes the door. The manager's like, well, I better get some, better get her some towels. You know, she's mad. So she runs to the cat, uh, the linen closet and grabs a bunch of towels, goes to the room and knocks on the door. And she doesn't get a response. So she's standing out there with these towels and she knocks on the door. She doesn't get any response. Finally, she tries the door. It's not locked. She kind of opens it. You know, and says, uh, ma'am, I've got your towels. I've got your towels, ma'am. Where, where are you? The room's completely empty and there's towels. So she could never explain. Did you come across a lot that hotels were surprisingly, a lot of them were, might be haunted? There's always, I used to work at a hotel and I was very surprised. Like once I started doing the podcast and everything, I would talk to people that worked at a hotel because I've come across, I think, four deaths. When I worked at a hotel, um, Dunes Manor in Ocean City, uh, it's a largely older clientele that comes there, but there was four deaths in that four years that I worked there. Um, and I, I've started realizing that a lot of people that work at hotels, especially older ones that are kind of like routine vacation spots for a lot of folks that go there either during winter, during the holidays, whatever you want to say, that they would come across either a death or something throughout their experience there. And I'd have to think these places would have to have some type of energy or residual energy in them, especially with some of the graphic ones. When I was working there, one person had tied bedsheets around their neck and tied it to the railing and jumped. And it was a younger person, too. It wasn't an older person. But I was like, oh, like I that's stuff like now when I go, I don't even go to hotels anymore. I'm like, no, and I, you don't hear about it as much because of the fact that it would be very bad publicity for a hotel to have that a death happened at their thing. So it's it's kind of like a little bit unheard of unless you talk to actual workers there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Michelle Belanger, you know, the author um, had a theory about she actually worked at a hotel. She worked nights at a hotel and it was extremely haunted. And it was just like a, just your run of the mill, you know, it's never right run of the, the mill. It's right never off run of the, the highway. Yeah. Well, it wasn't an Atlantic, you know, it was just one of those generic chain hotels um, off the highway. So she would work nights and she would have all sorts of, you know, crazy stuff happen. And she, she is a, finally came to the conclusion that hotels are where people go to commit suicide um, because they don't, you know, they don't want their family finding them or they, you know, they want peace and quiet while they, you know, pull the plug basically. And so um, there had been several suicides in that hotel. It was, as I say, it was right off the highway and that, you know, they would be driving along thinking about ending themselves and, and you know, and see the hotel. And, oh, that's perfect. So, <laughs> So, um, so that was her, um, that was her theory as, as to why hotels are, are so often haunted. And then, you know, you can die of natural causes, causes as well, like the older hotel that you were talking about with the clientele that's, that's older. I do have to tell you about one hotel that I was at, and it was not for an investigation, actually, it was for a paranormal convention. It's the uh, Eisenhower Um Eisenhower Hotel in Gettysburg. Gettysburg, crazy, right? But um, so we we we're at this paranormal convention 
just this crazy hotel. They had got it. They had let it get completely run down. The roof was leaking like a sieve. And so they had stopped using the second floor entirely. <laughs> Instead of fixing the, the, the roof, rather, uh, they, just, they just let those rooms go to pot, basically. And of course, the weekend we were there, um, it was raining cats and dogs. So I... I have to, you know, I have to wander. I mean, you know, an abandoned, yeah, an abandoned second floor in a rainstorm. Hello, I'm there. So I, um, I actually took my shoes off because I wanted to to see just how wet the place was. But uh, so I'm walking along this deserted uh, hallway area and, um, you know, there's just puddles of water. All the rooms are closed and locked up tight. It's dark up there because, you know, they're not running the lights, probably an electrical hazard <laughs> but um so it's just a spooky place um they've since fixed it up by the way um but so i'm up there by myself and i turn the corner and i'm coming down this one hallway and in this room i'm hearing bam 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 it's like someone's having a temper tantrum in there and i'm like I know the room is empty. They're all empty up here. So I put my ear to the, to the door and I'm like, is someone in there? And I get no answer. And I'm like, all right. This is too bizarre. <laughs> so I go down and I get my, um, my co-director. We were staying in the same room. And I think I, I took a EMF detector because you never go out without one right <laughs> so and we head back up to this room and i'm and my co-director was kind of she was pretty sensitive to to energies so even before i told her what was going on because i wanted an unbiased opinion you know am i nuts or is this actually happening so we approached the room and even before we got to the room she's like oh my gosh she's like oh, i can feel it and then the EMF detector starts going off and we go, we creep up to the door and sure enough, bam, smash, drag sounds, just like someone's just having a bit of anger in there. <laughs> like, wow, that is nuts. <laughs> so that was probably one of the wildest things that ever happened to me in a hotel. And it wasn't even on investigation. <laughs> I always wanted to go back to that hotel and get that actual room <laughs> rented for the night. So you not have a fear of anything paranormal. I mean, obviously there's some serious stuff that happens and it can be scary. I mean, that situation you just explained can be scary as well too. A lot of people wouldn't want to go investigate deeper, but I mean, do you ever have any like no goes when it comes to some things in the paranormal? I don't. <laughs> If it's in the middle of the woods, I'm not going. I'll tell you that. Oh, much. really? <laughs> I'm all in. <laughs> uh, it, demonics, I think. Uh, you know, I have no interest in getting into into that. I I think you're foolish to get into that unless you know, unless you've been trained and you know what you're doing. I see far too many people bumbling into this that are just simply not prepared and you don't want to bring something like that down on, on yourself. So you talking about like Ouija boards and things of that sort. Oh, I'm talking about groups that, that decide that they're going to do exorcisms and just trot on out there. And yeah, I, I had a group, um, 
set up in Delaware, for example, and they came up to me at a paranormal convention and they're like, well, we want you to send all of your dark investigations to us. And I'm, cause we're, we're demon hunters or we're exorcists. And I'm like, oh, really? What are your qualifications? Aren't they, isn't that dangerous to be an exorcist? Yeah. Yeah. It's very dangerous. And um, actually the only, the only, ent uh, the only organization that's supposed to be able to do exorcisms is, is of course the catholic church yeah. um so as i say i just i find those people really really foolish because it can it can um it can come back to haunt you yeah. <laughs> so yeah. or so yeah i i don't i don't tend when i do come so, across something that's really dark i've actually never actually done an investigation we had one that was um i'm not sure it was a demon but it was it was definitely not nice um so i went for the um walkthrough with the gentleman and um he was doing poltergeist like activity like slamming doors and um knocking things off shelves and throwing things i mean it was pretty pretty crazy activity going on um so we're doing the walkthrough and we're sitting at the table and we're doing and I'm doing an interview with the gentleman, you know, just finding out what's going on. And um, all of a sudden I get this like frigid cold, you know, hair in the back of your neck, standing up, staticky, crazy staticky feeling. And I mean, I get this, you know, when I'm when I'm investigating, but this just lasted and lasted and lasted and lasted it felt like someone was like leaning down on my back and finally and i never do this i finally stopped the investigation just stopped talking looked down at the table and i said get off get off me now and it backed off and it left me alone so uh if we finish up the uh walkthrough and i go home and i'm having um and there's something that, uh in the poltergeist uh, called contagion where if you investigate um something of a darker nature it can follow you home and affect yeah. you which is what the the investigators at skinwalker ranch found as well so i got home and for no uh, no apparent reason i'm getting the chills in the back the you know the hair on the back of the neck standing up and just crazy chills and i'm i'm in my home it's not haunted you know there's nothing going on it's just the fact that i had been out and was dealing with this thing and it followed me home i called my co-director first i smudged myself i had my <laughs> i got some sage and i had my husband smudge me never do that either i i never do things like i can't that, stand the like, smell of sage yeah i, I, I hate sage <laughs> on top of everything else but um so i had him uh smudge me and uh and i was much better called my co-director she had had the same uh experience so she had gotten home and actually she said in the car she was having those experiences so uh it was a, a pretty powerful pretty dark entity um unfortunately we we were all set up to do the investigation and um the gentleman worked out of town he actually worked in washington dc so um for well anyway so um so it kind of fell through because he got really busy with work and i never heard from him again actually but but i was a little worried about that one to to 
be quite honest. Cause... Do you do you find that a lot of the paranormal discussions get brought into like the religious side of things, or, like demonic stuff? And I've, I've had a few people when they're talking about paranormal stuff, they start going into some of the religious stuff. And I mean, I don't know if that's just Hollywood. I mean, look at what everything we see on TV when it comes to like a paranormal thing and ends up going into like demonic or it goes into something like that. Unless it's a well, TV it's, show. it's the fad right now. The the yeah. demonic, the whole demonic thing is a fad. You know, it started out with ghosts, but eventually, you know, that's just not spooky enough. But so they've just gone full tilt demonic. And um, 99.9% of the cases I've ever investigated have not been demonic, that they are not as prevalent <laughs> as the television shows make it out to be. So um, thankfully, because you don't want that many demonics. Yeah. So yeah, so don't never believe the television shows. They're, they're for entertainment's sake. So um, I'm actually an agnostic, um, and which is part one of the reasons I went into uh, the paranormal because I had a desire to know what happened to us when we died. And I just, I didn't find, um, I didn't find the answers in, in religion. You know, they're, they're, they were always just like, well, just have blind faith. And I'm like, I'm not a blind faith kind yeah. of person, you know? So I want some, I want some evidence and that's, you know, honestly, that's why I've been in the paranormal field for so long. It's not, I didn't go into it for thrills. I didn't go into it for a television contract. I didn't go into it to make myself famous. I went into it, and this is why people that do this stay, because I had answers that I wanted to have, you know, that I wanted, mysteries that I wanted answered, so. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're, since you've been involved in it for a while, you're seasoned and the kind of the community when it comes to paranormal research but do you have any obviously positives or negative outlooks on uh the paranormal research thing like to me i've seen everything go so commercial and obviously we saw that with x files and ghost hunters and all that which is why i like to talk to independent people like yourself who have their own teams and run their own stuff because it's more of a like you'll tell me what's real you'll tell me what you saw you'll tell me if you didn't find anything but if i interview someone on one of these x like i've interviewed people on x files they just kind of, you know, they hype it up and make it sound like, yeah, you'll have to see it on my next episode. I was like, what? Oh, the, yeah. What? Yeah. Just tell me what you saw. That's all I'm asking. But I, I've noticed that like the whole kind of culture has kind of shifted more towards like now there's like some of these places they charge like $3,000 for you to go investigate it with your team. And I'm like, well, hang on a second. Like I get everyone needs to make some money on some things, but also people aren't trying to break the bank, just trying to quench their own curiosity of if, if there is an afterlife and if there is something here. Yeah. Yeah. It, it has gone terribly commercial. I've gone to, I, I actually stopped going to paranormal conventions because they just became so unbearable. You know, you would, you would be, I'd get vendor space or I'd do a uh, talk in one of these places that would have the television personalities and the entire, you know, the entire audience would be over on the other side of the, of the room. And, you know, you'd just be sitting there by yourself with your books it's like i just i got so sick of it I'm sick of the, the you know the pomposity the wandering around the 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 room with the telephone to the ear um negotiating next year's contract you know i'm just like get over yourself <laughs> we're yeah. all we 
we put our pants on in the same way, one leg at a time. So, yeah. So I, as I say, I, I finally, I'm like, I'm done with this. I am done with you. I'm done with this whole, you know, I'll have people come up to me and say, oh, you know, I watch all those paranormal shows. What's your favorite? And I'm like, I don't watch any of them. Good for I'm you. Like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I don't watch any of them. Not one anymore. It's just, they got so ridiculous and so over the top and, and as they say, the pomposity is just, so, that, yeah. Do you think that brings a bigger stigma on the paranormal research, like from the, the public's perception of things? Well, no, I don't think the public, I don't think the public understands. That's why I always tell them television is for entertainment. It is not research. It is not real. When they aren't getting anything, they make up their own evidence. It is not real. Not only that, but they're not looking. Did the the reason the door bang open because of the windstorm that was going on on the top of the mountain, or was it actually a ghost? Hmm, I don't know. What do you think? You know, let's just you know, don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's but, it's uh, it, you know. It, it's real serious about it because I think that obviously it became profitable for some things like that. And people it became have been, very profitable. That's yeah, for sure. And people have an interest in it, but I just, I wonder if that it's kind of like when I I'm interested in the JFK stuff, I'm a researcher over it. I've had federal judges and people who actually did the investigation that'll tell you a different story than what gets told. And I'm, I've looked through so many documents where it's a passion of mine, but then when I see someone make a documentary and they really try and hype it up, even Oliver Stone has done it. I'm like, look, I get it that it's a Hollywood movie, but to me, it just does it a bigger disservice. Like as a public, I feel like we're okay. If you show us something that we didn't find anything, I'm okay. As a person, I feel in my heart that if I saw something, a paranormal show and they're like, Hey, we didn't find anything this time around. I'm like, get them next time. You know, like keep going with it. I prefer to get the facts not the Hollywood side of things. Exactly. Yeah. So, and we've done investigations where we have gotten absolutely nothing. So it's always a bummer, but it's a possibility. So, But you got to love the experience with your team though, when you go, even if you guys don't find anything, just that whole experience of being together on it. Yeah. But you have to, uh, you have to fight the urge. I, my co-director uh, in particular was a chatty Kathy. So she'd give it about, she'd give it about five minutes and then she's, she's off talking about something completely different and you know, the horses and her granddaughter and blah, 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 blah. And like uh, Rennie, <laughs> you gotta be quiet once in a while. <laughs> we're, supposed to, we're supposed to be here to observe and listen. <laughs> you haven't heard a thing. So, but you know, sometimes though, you know, ironically that will work in your favor. When you're actively out there trying to get their attention, trying to interact with them, if they don't want to interact with you, you're not going to get them to interact with you. But when you stop being interested in them and ignore them, that's usually when you get the most activity because they're like, hey, did you forget about me? <laughs> so it's, it's very much like that. So. <laughs> So that, she'd, she'd be off talking about horses and all of a sudden the EMF detector would just go crazy, you know, and it's like, ah, what happened? What are some of the reliable equipment you use to be able to detect them? Uh, well, we use, um, we use a lot of video, um, IR cameras. I have a, oh God, I think I have, I have a four camera surveillance system that's IR. And then I've got four Panasonic's that are IR. I've got a GoPro that's a full spectrum and another 
GoPro that I've been doing this a long time. I got far too much equipment. <laughs> I have like six audio recorders. I, I buy the expensive ones, the, the nice Zoom ones, which yeah. is ironic because I can't use Zoom. But uh, I have a Zoom recorder. Um, that was my first recorder. Oh, I love Zooms. I love that them. took me a while to figure out. I could tell you that much. They don't make it easy. It looks like, you, oh, you just hit this and hit this. No, it's all complicated. Yeah. Yeah. So I have... Uh, five of the H4Ns, which are, are a little oh older God. technology. Yeah. 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 And then I have a, a cheaper Zoom as well. Um, so they all, the Zooms were made for um, recording and uh, musical uh, recordings. Yeah. So they're, they're really beautiful microphones. So uh, recorders. So, um, so yeah, we have a, a bunch of those. Um, we have REM pods, of course. Um, although I, t I try to be, careful with the REM pods because they can give you lots of false positives, which is something else they don't tell you on television, by the way. Um, if you use a, if you make a telephone call with a REM pod in the room, it will set the REM pod off, landlines that is. I have never been able to do it with my cell phone, but my landline. Um, walkie talkies will set the REM pod off. Um, when they get low on batteries, the, the REM pod will, will go off. Um, in a rainstorm, the REM pod is going to go off. In a windstorm, the REM pod's going to go off. How often do you hear that when you're watching like a YouTube video or a, right? Well, how, how hard is that going to be to try and have the perfect conditions to use a REM pod if it has all those things to it that can mess it with it? Yeah, you just, you have to be really careful. You can't use your walkie-talkies around the REM pods. Um, I was, it was so ironic because I was, I was giving a, a talk to... Um, students at uh, First State Military Academy, because we've done a couple of investigations over there. And they were, they've been watching a lot of television shows. And so uh, they were, they were asking about the ghost box and the SD method and the REM pods. And so I brought a REM pod and I, I had it on and I was showing them. And I'm in the middle of my talk. And I had just talked, we had just talked about false positives and the fact that you have to be very, very careful about this. Um, and the REM pod starts going off and it will not stop. And the kid, smart kid, <laughs> um, turns around and sure enough, there are two or three students walking by and they had just been on their walkie talkies because it's a military academy. So they were out doing, um, doing drills with their walkie talkies and it had set the REM pod off. And I'm like, perfect perfect points. <laughs> so perfect way to, to drill at home. So you have to be really, really careful about, about things like that. REM pods, uh, ghost boxes. I know, as I say, you never hear that, about that on television, but you never want to use one of those and, and assume it's completely accurate because there's a whole lot that can set it off. You, know? you trust the newer technology? I think there was like a spirit box a buddy of mine was mentioning that was like a, a good chunk of money to get the thing. And I'm like, I don't know if I, well, I don't know why they raised the prices so high on half of that equipment. Oh, because it's commercialized. So yeah, I don't, I, I don't, uh, I don't know if the spirit box is, is the thing where you see the stick figures, but that's actually a gaming system. And it's designed to find things in the environment that take on a human form because it it was like a it was to be a gaming system like you know if you were playing tennis with the television so it it is trained you know uh, it's designed to find things that that look like a human form so if you're in a room and there isn't another human being in the room it will it will make a stick figure on the couch because it sees the couch and it's roughly human shaped 
So then all of a sudden you've got a stick figure on your screen and you're assuming it's a, it's a ghost. It's the couch. It's the refrigerator. It's the, you know, the, the armoire in the corner. It, it's not, it's the machines doing what it's designed to do. So we don't use those ever. Um, I never use ghost boxes. I had a, a teammate that just loved her ghost box. Um, and I was forever getting into debates with her because what is it? What does this ghost box do? It scans radio waves. Well, what yeah. are on radio waves? Radio stations. So when it chirps out something, it's a radio station. It is not the spirit. Or if it is a spirit, how am I going to determine what is a spirit and what's a radio station? You can. I'm with I can't you on except that. yeah, I'm with unless you on I. That. Unless I go back to the broadcast on that night and listen to every moment of each broadcast to figure out, to determine if it was a broadcast or if it was actually. Well, it comes normal. through like you're changing the channels and you hear the bleed through happen and then you just hear a random thing. And it, to me, it's like, I don't know. It's kind of like if you ever seen Transformers and you know Bumblebee, the car that has to talk by using the radio. And he can only do like clips of movie scenes and things that usually are already on the airwaves. And I'm like, that's kind of what it sounds like to me. It just kind of sounds like it's, and I don't know if that's, I've heard people say it's how they communicate, but to me, I'm just like, I don't know. That one's a little bit more uh, like less evidence-based. That's kind of like, yeah, it could possibly be radio channel a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I remember I was, as I say, the one investigator was just in love with her ghost box. Um, so we're, we're sitting in a dark room and it, it bleeps out something and it sounds like part of a song, you know, cause it's a radio station. And she's like, no, it said Mary Jane. And it wasn't part of a song. I'm like, it was totally part of a song. I heard the music. That ghost is singing a heart over there singing crazy on you. There you go. Yeah. So, um, that would be a ghost I'd like to meet, actually. Exactly. <laughs> so, I love heart. I do too. But, um, yeah. I have to ask about, when it comes to a reliable or one maybe tradition you have specifically when you go on an investigation, do you carry a charm or do you have anything like that? Yeah, I I didn't used to. Um, and then um, I went on an investigation one time and uh, I came home and uh, something followed me. So and it's it's happened a couple of times now. Um, they, luckily, they don't they didn't stay long, but I've you know, I've uh the paranormal uh, phenomena is kicked up after investigations. So I was talking with a, another investigator, um, really knowledgeable man. And he's let, he said, well, what are you doing? Are you saying a prayer? Are you throwing out salt? Are you, what charms are you wearing? I'm like, oh, I'm not doing any of that. He's like, are you insane? <laughs> He's like, would you would you open a door your door to a murderer and expect nothing to go you know to go wrong? Basically, I'm like, ah, oh, I never really thought about that. But you know, I didn't have faith in that kind of thing, so I didn't employ it. Um, now, whether I believe in it or not, I, I've got I've got it on. I've got my uh, my charm, you know, my uh, religious charm on. Um, I've got the, the black stone. I never remember what it's called, but it's supposed to keep you safe from um and bad energies one thing that, that i did um <laughs> and we use this all the time is um you know the old folklore is that spirits and things that are that go bump in the night don't like iron for whatever reason yeah. so i had um i went on etsy and i found a 
an ironsmith, you know, a blacksmith that made Celtic-like iron bracelets. And so now when I go on an investigation, I've got my two Celtic iron bracelets on. Um, and it, ironically enough, anytime things do kick up around my own home, I just, I just clap a bracelet on everyone in the house. <laughs> so, and that usually it works. That's, that's smart. So, yeah. So as I say, I, I don't necessarily know if I have faith in them, but if, you know, if it works and it keeps you safe, then by all means, why wouldn't you? Now, since you started writing about it as well, too, I mean, have you faced a lot of people that have come to you with their own experiences, not places to investigate, but just more more people are open to talk about it around you? Obviously, if you write about it, people know what your belief is in it, so then they can just openly express their own opinions. Because for me, I like to talk about ghost stuff, but I, it's hard to strike that up in a conversation where it's like, hey, by the way, did you have any paranormal experiences in your life? And then people are like, what? And I'm just like, yeah. I don't know. That was random. I'm like, most people are asking me my politics. You're asking me about my paranormal experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we did. Uh, after I gave up the the paranormal conventions, we, I decided to stay local. Um, so I did. Um, we did Dover Days this year, and it was wonderful because we, we set up a booth out at Dover Days, hung a big sign, and uh, people were just coming out of the woodwork with great stories in fact i got i got to follow up on a few of them because I, I i write about them i you know i'll take the better ones and and do a blog article about them so um yeah it was wonderful because i was hearing some great ones really great stories so and i love i love a good ghost story i mean that's kind of what got me into this um as you say i i can't investigate each and every one of them obviously but but it's still i mean anecdotal evidence is you know when you build up enough of it it can be a very powerful thing as well because you, you're getting a, a real taste a real flavor for what's actually going on in the now paranormal i'm, I'm appreciative of uh you giving me the time to do my podcast i'm happy there's someone out there like yourself that's actually investigating this stuff as well too and willing to speak about it too you know it's not i know that the subject i mean over the past couple of years it seems like it's been talked about a little bit more um, which is, I'm glad this is an openness to it, but I love hearing about, it. I don't know if you ever remember that show coast to coast AM. Oh, of course. Yeah. That's what I try and spin mine off of. I was like, I love that show so much. Art Bell's old show with the, you know, the calling people up. I was like, that's what got people through their middle of the night drive sometimes was listening to that. And I think everyone has that UFO paranormal, something belief in there. And especially we see it trending a lot more now. I'm happy that someone like yourself was willing to talk with me about it a little bit, but is there a place where people can find your books and any other links? you'd like to promote your website and your team's page absolutely um we have uh, our website is um delawareparanormal.org again that's delawareparanormal.org the books are available on the website um, as well as um, our merch we've got a bunch of really cool t-shirts um and then also it's uh, available on amazon and barnes and noble as well so if you buy it for me though i'll sign it and then send it to you so <laughs> well i'm going to link all your links in the description rob it's been a pleasure chatting with you and thanks everybody for listening to this episode about the blank podcast